thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Last week we started looking at one of the biggest problems that the Corinthian believers were struggling with, and that was divisions within the church there in Corinth. And there were a few different issues that were causing these divisions. And so in the first four chapters of this book, Paul deals with these issues that were causing divisions. But more importantly, he brings to us the solution to the problem, how to not have these divisions anymore. And Last week we saw the first issue that was causing division there in Corinth. They were following men, they were exalting men instead of following Jesus and exalting Jesus. Uh, And the reason that they were so focused on and following men instead of Christ is because they lost sight of Jesus, they lost sight of who he was, they lost sight of what he has done for us on the cross. And the solution to this first problem that we learned is to keep your focus on who Jesus is and what he's done and only exalt him because when we keep our focus on jesus we keep our focus on what he's done for us then it helps us to no longer have divisions on that issue this morning we're going to look at the second issue that was causing divisions there in corinth and and the solution to how to avoid it and so let's pick up where we left off last week starting in verse 18 of chapter one it says this for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God stronger than men. In the rest of chapter 1 here, Paul is going to be dealing with several contrasts that center around man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. A contrast between the foolishness of men, which they think is wisdom, versus the wisdom of God, which men think is foolishness. Contrast God's truth, which man doesn't believe in, versus the supposed truth that man Accepts. And so we have this contrast between God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And really, this, this started, this is something that we saw uh, last week as people were exalting, hey, I am of Paul. No, I'm of Peter. No, I'm of Apollos. Ultimately, in, in doing this, exalting people to a place they didn't belong, they were doing that because they were following man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Now, it's important to note that the city of Corinth, you know, they were really focused on the wisdom of man. It was very prominent at that time. It was something that also became a a focus of the church as well. As you can see on the map here, the city of Corinth is very close to the city of Athens. 
Now, the city of Athens was really the hub of philosophy at that time. The, the Greeks were in love with philosophy. They built their culture around it. And philosophy, which means the love of wisdom, that's what they were focused on. They wanted to get wisdom. Now, the problem with the Greeks' philosophy was that they focused on the wisdom of men, not on the wisdom of God. Now, the Bible's not against philosophy. It's not against the pursuit of wisdom. Actually, it encourages us with the pursuit of wisdom, but it clarifies the kind of wisdom that we should be pursuing. For example, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. You know, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom and constantly we're being told to seek after it, uh, to, you know, try and acquire it. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the key distinguishing factor is where are you seeking to find your wisdom? Where are you seeking to find your knowledge? That's that's the real question that we have to ask ourselves. Where is this wisdom coming from? Are we looking to God for it? Or are we looking to something else? Are we looking to man? Are we looking to the culture? Are we looking to the world for wisdom. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul warns these Colossian believers, Beware lest you be cheated through a philosophy that's according to men and not Christ. Now notice Paul importantly doesn't say beware of philosophy in general. You know, stay away from the, the pursuit of wisdom in general. He says, no, there is a specific philosophy, a specific wisdom you need to be aware of, and that is the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of God. Be very careful, beware of pursuing man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. So the Bible encourages us to pursue God's wisdom and he warns us not to pursue the wisdom of man. Now, this philosophy that was according to men and not Christ was the kind of philosophy that the Greeks pursued. They they loved the wisdom of man and they weren't really concerned about the wisdom of God. And so this man-focused philosophy was very rampant in Athens where the hub of it was. And guess what? Since Corinth wasn't very far, it wouldn't didn't take long for Corinth now to adopt the same philosophies, to adopt the same man-wisdom. And so there in Corinth, this was something that was a huge focus. And unfortunately, because it was a huge focus in the city, the church there, it didn't take long for them to start to adopt these philosophies, the wisdom of man within the culture, and to reject the wisdom of God. We saw last week in chapter 10, Paul said, let there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. Now, we noted that Paul wasn't saying we all need to have the same brain. We all need to think the same thoughts. Ultimately saying we all need to have the mind of Christ. Now, something important to understand is that having the mind of Christ follows the wisdom of God. You see, if you are following the wisdom of man, you don't have the mind of Christ. And so as Paul challenges us together to have the mind of Christ, the only way that's possible is if we all are following the wisdom of God. And so when you're not following the wisdom of God and you're following the wisdom of man, you got a problem. 
You become divided. And that's what's one of the things that happened. One of the issues here in Corinth was that you had some following the wisdom of man, some following the wisdom of God, and because of these two different philosophies which were very opposed to one another, you had division happening within the church. And so that's the second issue causing division. There are some believers who are following man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Now, what Paul has to say to these Corinthians is very relevant to us today because we're surrounded by a society, just like in Corinth, that is very focused on the philosophy and the wisdom of man. The world today is caught up in the admiration and worship of human opinion, human knowledge, human wisdom. And because of the rise of social media, the opinion of man has become more rampant. We're able to give it more frequently. We're able to listen to it more often. And now there's a greater pressure to receive the wisdom of the culture, the wisdom of man in our daily lives. It has grown a lot. So we live in a culture that's definitely focused on man's wisdom, man's philosophy, and is desiring to influence us to follow that wisdom and that philosophy. And just like with the Corinthian church, the church today has unfortunately adopted many of the wisdom of man into the church world, falling for and accepting these ungodly, worldly philosophies. And I think one of the big causes of this is because there is a desire within us to want to be seen from the world as wise. If the world says, oh, this is foolish, or the world says, oh, you're so uh, uh, you know, stupid for believing this, well, I'm not going to believe that then because I want the world to think that I'm wise. I want the world to think that you know, I'm so brilliant. And you know, the world ridicules people who believe in the Bible. They ridicule us for our belief system. They say that we're foolish and sadly many Christians shy away from biblical truth because they don't want to be looked upon as foolish from the world. You know, if you go into a Christian bookstore, uh, a predominant amount of books that are written about church growth are very much man's opinion. It's a lot of nonsense. It's not biblical at all. And even some of the stuff that's written on spiritual growth is man's opinion, man's wisdom. And so, you know, we have it within our own, you know, Christian bookstores that's out there. And so we're kind of surrounded by it. We've adopted it as a church, unfortunately. And so what we see as a problem here in Corinth is definitely a problem here in our day and age today. And so Paul's going to be sharing this divide that's taking place because of this man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And he's going to spend the rest of the next three chapters really dealing with different aspects of this. And this morning, we're going to look at the first part of what he brings to us about this contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And Paul starts at the most important place of all. It's always a place that we should start as believers in Christ because it's the message that brought us to Christ, and that is the message of the cross. And so that's where Paul starts in verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The most important message that there is is the message of the cross. The message of what Jesus Christ has done, that Jesus, God's Son, was sent to this earth. Why? To live a sinless life and to ultimately give His life for you and me on the cross, to pay for our sins on the cross, to take the punishment that our sins deserve. He took it upon Himself. He was nailed to a cross. He was beaten. He was bled. He died for you and me. And three days later, He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. It's only through Jesus' death on the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins. In order to be forgiven, we need to accept what Jesus has done, accept that He's God, accept that He gave His life 
for us on the cross to pay for our sins. So Paul says this message, the message of the cross, the message of what Jesus Christ has done has two different responses. In the world, there are basically two responses to the message of the cross, and they come from two different groups of people. You see, the world is basically made up into two different groups of people. The first group are the people who have rejected Jesus, rejected the message of the cross, and they are perishing. Right now, if they don't accept Christ, the ultimate consequence for them is hell. They're not going to be saved from their sin. The Bible says they will perish for rejecting Jesus. The second group are those who have accepted Jesus. They've accepted the message of the cross, the gospel, and because of that, they are saved. You see, everyone falls into one of these two groups. You either reject Jesus in the cross or you have accepted Jesus in the cross. And those are the main two groups as God looks at the world that he sees. Those who've rejected my son and those who have accepted my son. And we have those two groups because each one of us has to make a decision whether or not we are going to accept or reject what Jesus has done. And that choice ultimately determines our eternal destiny, whether we will spend our eternity in heaven Saved from our sins if we accept Jesus, or spend an eternity separated from God in hell if we reject Jesus. Now, not only does the response to the message of the cross come from two different groups of people, it also comes from two different points of view from the standpoint of wisdom. You see, there's one that is godly wisdom and one that is worldly wisdom. The first one that rejects the cross, that rejects uh, Jesus, that comes from a worldly wisdom. Those that accept Jesus, those that receive him, respond with godly wisdom. Now, to the first group of people who are perishing, the message of what Jesus did on the cross, Paul says, it's foolishness. They, they hear the message of Jesus and that he sacrificed himself for us and that the only way to be saved is just to believe in him. And they, they respond to that thing. And that is such a foolish message. That's foolishness to us. They think that message is unwise according to their worldly wisdom. You see, man in his wisdom doesn't like the message of the cross. And one of the reasons he doesn't like the message of the cross is because the message of the cross says you can do nothing to save yourself. God had to do it all for you. You can't work your way to God. You can't earn your way to salvation. You are hopeless and helpless, and you have to place your faith in God who's done the work for you. Man doesn't like that message. (laughs) No, no, no. I can work my way. I can earn my way. I can achieve. I can get approval from God on my own. You know, something that's important to note of the difference between really every man-made religion versus Christianity is there's one thing in common with every man-made religion. And the thing that is in common is whatever religion it is, you'll note one thing that they all have to do, work and earn their way to the God that they believe in. That's the problem. They, all of them, every religious belief system that you look at, the thing is, okay, whatever it is, whatever God they believe in, whatever eternity, whether it's heaven, whether it's nirvana, whether it's ever, all of them, in order to achieve that, have to do a certain amount of works. They have to earn through their own life and their own works this approval and acceptance from the God they believe in. Now, Christianity is very different than the man-made religions that we have today. Because Christianity, God says, there's nothing that you could do to earn salvation. There's no work that you could do to be right with me. 
There's nothing that you could do, so I am going to do it for you. You can't make your way to me, so I'm going to come to you. I'm going to send my son to be one of you, to live a sinless life, which none of you can do, to die for your sins because you guys have failed to meet my perfect standard, to give my life for you. God has done it all. He came to us, whereas every other religious belief, we have to try to work our way to him. And so you see this contrast between Christianity, where God comes to us, he's done all the work, we just believe in the work he's done, versus all these other religious systems where we do the work. It's all about us. It's all about us earning and achieving in order to receive the approval or the salvation of the God that they worship. So the message of the cross, it's foolishness to man's wisdom, because he believes, I can do the work. I can earn it. I can achieve it. I can get approval from God. So the first group are those people who are perishing because they've rejected what Jesus did for them on the cross. And the ultimate reason they're rejecting it is because of their worldly wisdom and they think it's foolishness. Now to the second group of people who are saved, the message of what Jesus did, notice it's the power of God, the wisdom of God. They hear the message and they're sinners. They're separated from God that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. The only way to be saved is to place their faith in him. And they recognize this is the power of God to save me. This is the power of God to change me. This is the power of God who's given his life for me. And they recognize God has that power to transform them and to change them. And they see that as they accept him. They realize the message of the cross is truly the wisdom of God. That God in his wisdom made a way for us to be saved. That we couldn't do it on our own. That we couldn't achieve it on our own. That we couldn't earn it on our own. And so he sent his son to do it for us. We recognize the power of God in that. And so we've accepted the wisdom of God. We've accepted the message of the cross. And we've rejected the wisdom of man. We've rejected the concept that I can do it on my own. That I can earn it on my own. That I can achieve it on my own. So the first group rejects the wisdom of God through the message of the cross and accepts man's wisdom. And the ultimate result is they're going to perish in hell. The second group accepts the wisdom of God through the message of the cross and rejects man's wisdom. And as a result, they are being saved. Verse 19 says this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Paul here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. And it's interesting to note the context of what's happening here as Isaiah is given this word from God to the nation of Israel. Because during this time, the king of Assyria was coming with his army and planning to conquer Judah. And the Lord told Isaiah, you know, don't worry, don't fear, don't fear this army that's much bigger than yours. Just trust me because the Assyrians king plan is going to fail. And it's not going to fail because the strength of Judah's army is not going to fail because Judah's king is so wise in its strategies. It's going to fail because God is going to destroy the wisdom of this Assyrian king. He's going to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, the Assyrian army greatly outnumbered Judah's army, but God did what he said. 185,000 men of the Assyrian army were wiped out in one single night by one angel. They thought they're coming. They're going to wipe out Judah. We got the numbers. This is easy. This is no problem. Says God says, no, no, no. I'm going to deal with you and take care of you and show you the kind of power that I have to destroy your wisdom because you're not recognizing and putting me in 
the equation. And so Paul starts off reminding the Corinthian believers of what God has done in the past to destroy the wisdom of man. And now he's going to ask them some questions about the wisdom of people in their own time. Notice what he says in verse 20 and 21. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul says, you know, when you look back to the Old Testament and you see how God made foolish the wisdom of people in that time, is it any different now? Look at our people today. Look at around. He asks a couple of questions. Where's your wise man? Where's your scribe? Where's your disputer of this age? And the answer is, there are none. Because God has made them all foolish through his wisdom. The reason they're foolish is because the world through their wisdom didn't know God. That's ultimately what Paul's bringing out. You know, they, they think they're so wise, but yet they don't know God, which makes them a fool. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, there's a constant tendency to think that the smartest and wisest people will know the most about God. But God is not found and discovered through human intellect, through human wisdom. He's ultimately found and discovered through the person of Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When someone's through their own wisdom, rejects Jesus, guess what they're rejecting? The only way to come to God, the only way to truly know God. If you're rejecting Jesus, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how wise you are in the world's eyes, you can't come to an understanding of who God is because you have to come through Jesus in order for that to happen because Jesus is God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You see, God's wisdom is not man's wisdom multiplied to the highest degree. You don't take a bunch of smart people, put them all together and say, okay, now they have attained God's wisdom. God's wisdom and man's wisdom are complete opposite of one another. God's wisdom is so beyond man's wisdom, but it's also different. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 makes that clear. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways, God's thoughts, God's wisdom is totally different and higher than man's, and we need to recognize that reality. Man knows nothing compared to God, and his thoughts are not God's thoughts. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to this world's thinking. And for many of them, they think, you know, if I follow this and and I do this and I earn this and I work like this, it's going to end with me having approval before God. It's going to end with me being accepted by God. And the Bible says, no, it's going to end with death. The way of man ultimately leads to death. The wisdom of man ultimately leads to death because the only way to have life is through Jesus Christ to accept the wisdom of God. Now, there's a difference between human knowledge and human wisdom, and I think it's important not to confuse the two, because man has increased in knowledge a lot, especially in this last generation of people, but he really hasn't increased much in wisdom. You see, knowledge is the discovery of truth, which we have discovered a lot of, but wisdom is the proper application of knowledge, the application of truth. 
God has given us minds to use to discover truth, and we have discovered some of the most amazing things in technology and anatomy and astronomy. It's kind of mind-boggling where we're at in our day and age of the truth that we have discovered, but yet we're gaining knowledge, but not wisdom. Oh, we have a lot of information, but the key is, are we applying that information the right way? You see, the discovery of truth is meant to ultimately lead us to God, not lead us from God. And in our culture today, all the technology, all the different things, it's not leading people for the most part to God, it's leading them from God, and so they're not applying the truth they have in a wise way. Romans chapter 1 reveals this reality that takes place and has been taking place with mankind since we were created. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. These verses reveal that God has shown himself to everyone through his creation. His invisible attributes through creation are clearly seen and notice so that no one has an excuse. No one can stand back and say, well, I didn't know where where there was a God. God says, actually, you did. I revealed myself so powerfully and so clearly through creation. Paul says, even though people knew God, they did not apply that knowledge properly because they didn't glorify God as God. Instead of knowing and recognizing there is a God and glorifying God and worshiping God, he says, no, no, no. They took God and they ultimately started to worship man. They took the incorruptible God and started to make idols in their own image or in the image of animals. And then they started to bow down and worship that instead. They didn't respond properly to the knowledge that they had. A recognition that there's God should bring us to a place of worship and acceptance and following him. Instead, it caused them to worship their own man-made creation. In our world today, we have so much knowledge that is pointing to God, but we don't have the wisdom to accept him and to follow him and to worship him. So God has made the wisdom of man foolish, and God is pleased to use the wisdom of the message of the cross, which man thinks is foolish, to save those who believe in that message. To truly be wise is to accept the wisdom of God, which means to accept his son, Jesus Christ, and the message of the gospel. But you know what? There are two groups that struggled with that in Corinth, verse 22 and 25. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than man. The message of the cross had two different groups that really struggled with it for different reasons. The message of the cross, we're told, is a stumbling block to the Jews. Because the message of the cross is that the Messiah, the one that they thought should come and conquer and rule and reign and and save them from Rome, instead suffered a humiliating, horrible death on a cross. 
For them, that was a stumbling block. Well, wait a second. The Messiah wasn't come to die. He was come to free us and to rescue us and to save us in that way. So for them, it's a stumbling block. For the Greeks, it was foolishness. Because it went against their, their man-made beliefs and wisdom of, well, wait a second, we can do this on our own. We don't need a Savior. We can earn our own salvation through our own works. And so you have these two groups of people. One, it was a stumbling block. One, it was foolishness. But Paul says, you know what? But we preach Christ crucified. We still preach the message that the Messiah that you thought was going to come to rule and reign came to give his life for the sins of the world. That the Messiah that did that, that you Greeks think is so foolish that you don't need a Savior. You know what? We still continue to preach the message of the cross, to preach the message of the gospel. God gave these two groups something very unexpected in a crucified Messiah. Now, I think this is interesting because it's really for them an oxymoron, Christ crucified. Wait a second, that should have never happened in their mindset. And we have people today that say, you know what, we shouldn't preach the cross. We shouldn't preach the gospel. We shouldn't do that in our culture because our, our culture, you know, they're either offended by it or they just don't really relate to it. And so we should just avoid that message and just tell people, you know, Jesus loves you and just tell them like little different things. But avoid the cross, avoid the gospel because our culture can't relate and it's offensive to them. Well, guess what? The culture in Paul's day couldn't relate, and it was offensive to them. It was a stumbling block. It was foolishness. And you know what? Paul didn't stop preaching that message because of that reality. He continued to preach the message, and God worked through the message because it is his wisdom, and numerous people came to believe in Jesus Christ and were saved through it. We should never shy away from preaching the gospel, from preaching about the cross. A strong church once inscribed the words, we preach Christ crucified on an archway leading into the courtyard. But two things happened during time with this church. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and ivy began to grow on the archway. The growth of the ivy started to cover what was written there on the archway, and it showed the spiritual decline of the church. Originally, the message was, we preach Christ crucified. But as the ivy grew, one can only read, we preach Christ. And so the church started preaching Jesus the man, Jesus the moral example, but they didn't preach Jesus the crucified Christ. The ivy kept growing and one could only read, we preach. The church also even lost Jesus in the message. It was now just religious morals and social graces. And finally, one could only read, we. And the church just became another social gathering. It was all about them and not about Jesus. You know, I think this is a sad reality of the decline that so many churches today have come to, where they started with the wonderful truth, we preach Christ crucified, and they just slowly started to lose the reality of the message of the cross, and now they have become something that is very unbiblical, and they preach a message that is not what the Bible tells us to preach. The Jews and Greeks might feel the message of the cross is foolish and weak, but notice what Paul says, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. They might think it's foolish and weak, but the message of the cross is truly the power of God to save lives. So Paul is making his contrast between the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. He first takes his readers back and he says, look back into the Assyrian time where God showed the foolishness of the wisdom of those people. And now look in our own time and God has done that. And now he's going to ask them to look inwardly to themselves to see 
how God has called them based on his wisdom, not on the world's wisdom. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Ultimately, Paul's saying, hey, look around your church. Look around and see the people that are there. Look who God has called. There aren't many wise people according to the flesh, Meaning there are not many wise people according to the, the wisdom of the world, according to what this world would think is wise. Not many mighty, not many noble. People aren't thinking, oh wow, look at that guy. I mean, he's so amazing in the eyes of the world. But Paul says, instead, God has chosen people that the world would think were foolish according to their worldly wisdom. God has chosen people the, the world thinks are, are weak. People that the world sees as lowly and despise. God chose people that the world thinks nothing of. You know, and if you look around the church today, God is still calling for the majority the same type of people. People that the world looks at and says, oh, there's there's not much significance to this group. You know, I know I'm not wise according to the world. I don't have a degree that the world would look at and say, wow, you were really wise in going to a non-accredited Bible college and getting a degree, you know, in biblical studies. And so you could be a pastor. I mean, they just see that as foolishness. Why are you wasting your life? Why are you wasting your time? Not many of us are mighty or noble or powerful according to this world. Now, notice Paul says not many wise, noble or power. He doesn't say not any wise, noble and powerful. The reality is, God still does save people that the world sees as mighty, that the world sees as noble, that the world sees as powerful. But the reality is, as you look at the church, that's less than the majority. The majority of the church is people that the world looks upon as not mighty, not noble, not powerful. But God desires that all would come to repentance. He wants to reach everyone. And so it's not like, well, the world sees me as mighty, power, noble. I guess I have no chance. No, God wants to reach you as well. But there's a reality that... The majority of people that accept him are not seen that way by the world. You know, a lot of people struggle with the fact that the world looks down upon us. that The world thinks that we're unwise, that we're foolish, that we're whatever, nothing. But you know, I think something we need to remember is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So many people want the approval of the world. They want the world to think so highly of them and, oh, you're so wonderful and great. But what profit does it have if you have all the acclamation that the world gives, all the things that the world offers, if in the end it costs you your own soul? The world might think you're nothing, but you know what? Don't let that bother you because God loves you so much and he thinks you're so important that he gave his only son to die for you. The reason God chooses people the world thinks are weak, Paul says, is to put to shame the mighty of this world. The reason that God chooses foolish people, the reason that God chooses people who are nothing is to bring to nothing 
what this world thinks is so great. And notice why God does this so that no flesh should glory in his presence. I choose weak people. I choose what this world feels as foolish people. Why? So when the world looks upon who I save and who I work with, no person will glory in them or themselves. The glory will be mine. You see, God chooses people and the world looks and they think, how in the world is this happening through this guy? I mean, please, there's no way that this could be doing this. You know, you look at the disciples, you know, uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and different things. They turn the world upside down and people are like, how in the world is this happening? They're uneducated and untrained men, but they've been with Jesus. They they, they think, well, how is this possible? It's not possible through these people. That's the whole point. That's why God gets the glory, because people look and they think, this has to be God, because surely it's not these guys or these women, because they're weak, they're nothing, they're foolish, but yet somehow God has transformed their lives and is doing wonderful things through them, and ultimately God gets the the glory that only he deserves. God wants this world to see their need for him, He wants this world to see who he is and all his power and might. He wants this world to see how foolish their wisdom is. He wants them to see their need for him. And one of the ways he reveals that power is by taking people like us and changing our lives and transforming us. And we are a witness and a light to the world of God's power, of God's transforming power to save and to change. God changes us and uses us to show his wisdom and reveal this world's foolishness. Now, God isn't saying, and I've heard people teach this, it's better to be foolish. It's better to be uneducated. Don't even try to learn or grow in that because, you know, that's just going to make you less in the eyes of God. That's not the point of what Paul is saying. He's saying, rather, the world's wisdom and education does not lead us to Jesus. And putting the strong and the wise and the great to shame, God's not exalting the weak and the uneducated and the worthless above them. He's saying, we're all at the same level. We're all the same because we all fit in the same category. Lost. People in need of Jesus. That's how God sees us. All the acclimates, all the achievements in this world, God's not impressed by that. He sees two groups. Those who haven't accepted Jesus and are lost and are going to hell and those who have. And so we're all equal. Now, in our world, we're not equal. We have all sorts of different hierarchy of what makes you better than others. But in God's eyes, he says, no, there's an equality. He puts to shame these things to realize, hey, you're equal. You all have to come to me in the same way. You all have to come to Jesus. The world might think you're so great and have accomplished so much. But you know what? If you haven't accepted Jesus, you're just lost in the eyes of God. On the other hand, the world might think you're worthless and accomplish nothing, but if you have accepted Jesus, you are precious in the eyes of God and you are one of his children. Paul ends this chapter letting us know there's only one person in all of this that should get glory. And this is something so important because as we see the transformation in our lives, as we see our lives change, as we start living for God more because of accepting Christ, we have a tendency sometimes to think, oh, look at me and look at what I'm doing. And God, I'm so wonderful and I'm so great. And everyone else, look at me as well. And Paul says, in all of this, we need to not lose sight of the one who truly deserves the glory and the honor. And that is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
It was the wisdom of God that he would redeem us back to himself through Jesus' death on the cross, that he would make us right before him through Jesus' death on the cross, and that he would keep us right before him through Jesus' death on the cross. And so Paul wants us to see how different God's wisdom is from man's wisdom. And he starts by focusing on the most important message there is, the message of the cross, the thing that saves us from our sin. God in his wisdom chooses to save us through sending his son to die for our sin on the cross. And man in his wisdom thinks that message is foolish because he believes he can save himself. So we can either accept and follow the wisdom of God, which means accepting and following the gospel, or we can reject the wisdom of God, which is to reject the gospel. If we accept and follow the wisdom of God, we will be saved. And if we reject and follow the wisdom of man, we will perish. Paul wants us to see that man's wisdom ultimately is foolish because it rejects the only message that he can be saved by. How foolish that is. So the second issue that was causing division there in Corinth was that there were believers who were following the wisdom of men instead of the wisdom of God. And the solution to the second problem that was causing division is trust in and follow the wisdom of God that is revealed in his word and lovingly point those who have rejected the wisdom of God back to his word. So first and foremost, focus on yourself. Make sure that you are following the wisdom of God. Make sure you're focused on following biblical truth and applying that to your life. But as you start to do that, then you should also look at other believers, and if you see them following man's wisdom, rejecting biblical truth in any area, love them enough to come and say, hey, this is what the Bible says. This isn't true. This isn't right. This isn't good for you. We need to follow biblical truth and not the world's lies. Now, in the next couple chapters, Paul's going to get more in depth with this contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. But he starts with the message of the cross, wanting to make clear the wisdom of God leads to life and salvation and the wisdom of man leads to death and destruction. And when you look at it like that, it really should be easy to decide which wisdom you want to follow. Do I want life and salvation or do I want death and destruction? And that's the choice that we face, the choice of the cross, the choice of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that through your wisdom, you were willing to come to us. You were willing to do all the work. You were willing to live the perfect life that we couldn't. You were willing to sacrifice yourself when we deserved it. You were willing to take the punishment that we deserved so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I know I'm grateful. I know that those here this morning who have accepted the truth of the gospel have realized it truly is the power of God to save us. Lord, we we don't really have words that can describe how much we appreciate who you are and what you've done and the wonderful gift that you have given to us by sending your son to die for us. Lord, I just pray as, as we know this truth for ourselves, but yet we wouldn't just hold on to it ourselves, that we would share it with others, that we would, as Paul, but we preach Christ crucified. Lord, that each one of us could declare that truth, that we are sharing with others the truth of the cross, that we are preaching the message that Jesus Christ gave his life for the sins of this world.
As we go out later on today, Lord, to go to the park and to reach out to people, Lord, that this would be the message that we declare, the message of the cross, the good news of what you have done. Help us as a church to make a great impact in Pasadena and the surrounding towns, Lord, that we would be able to make an impact on people who don't know you to be able to share the truth of what you've done for them. If you're here this morning, you have never accepted God's wisdom. You've never accepted that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sin, that three days later he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. If you've been buying into the wisdom of the world, thinking, you know what, you can get to God in your own efforts and your own works and your own achievements. While everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to accept Jesus. An opportunity to pray a prayer to receive forgiveness of your sin, to receive Jesus into your life. And so if you've never done that, and you're here this morning, and you've listened to this message, and you want to, right now, give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand, and I want to pray for you. Anyone here? You've never accepted Christ. You've never asked for his forgiveness. You've never asked for him to come into your life. If you want to do that this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone here today? All right. Lord, for those of us who have made that choice, we know it's the best choice we've ever made. And it has the most important eternal impact for us. And we are so thankful that you loved us first, that you died for us when we were rejecting you, when we were at war with you, when we were in our sinful state, that you love us. And I pray that you would help us to see the world as you see it, Lord, to have compassion on those who don't know you, to show love to those who are still lost in their sin, and to love them enough to share the one message that can deliver them, that can save them, that can free them from an eternity separate from you in hell. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We ask you that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us boldness. For those of us who are going to be going out to the park, God, I pray that you would just be working in the hearts of people that are there. Draw them to us. Help them to be ready. Help them to be open and help us to have the boldness just to share the love of Jesus with them, to connect with them, to build relationships with them. Lord, we pray that just the practical demonstration of love by giving a free meal, a burger, a hot dog would open up the door of conversation. And Lord, you would lead us, those who know the truth, to share it with those that do not. And so we pray that you would just bless the outreach that we do and the fellowship that we have as we do it. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. We ask that you go before us this week and continue to help us grow in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have the worship team come up. We'll close in a song. And as they're coming up, just a reminder for you men, uh, this Tuesday is our monthly men's study. Uh, at my house, 7.30. Remember, the ladies meet at 7. Uh, we meet at 7.30. Uh, so I'd uh, love for you to be able to come to that and join us with that. Uh, and as I mentioned in the prayer, 
Right after we kind of put everything away, we're going to head over to Strawberry Park. We got uh, burgers and hot dogs and chips and water. Uh, and so it's a good time just to fellowship. But more importantly, we're there to reach people who are at the park with the truth of the gospel. And so uh, we'd love for you to come. If you're kind of shy about sharing the good news, hey, just come and fellowship. Uh, and you don't have to, you know, just see what the Lord will do with that. Don't uh, avoid it for that reason. But just be, you know, come with us and see what God will do. But uh, let's just close with one last time to worship him.